you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 5. We are continuing uh, a series that started last week looking at themes in Proverbs. And uh, last week we looked at sort of a general overview of wisdom and folly. And then this week we are starting our thematic look. And tonight our topic is sex and sexuality in Proverbs. Over the last few weeks, a number of you have asked me, did you select this topic? No, I did not. But I was not assigned it, either I was involved, and uh, I have been really encouraged by study this week, and I'm looking forward to us thinking through this together. But to do so well, we will need God's help. Would you pray with me to that end? Father, I thank you that... You have given us truth to lead and guide us, that it is not simply a understanding of how to get into heaven, but that you have given us your word to direct us how we may live, that your word is relevant, your word speaks into our lives. So Lord, I pray that tonight that would be the case, that tonight you would... Uh, speak into the area of sex and sexuality in our hearts uh, as, a, as individuals, as a community, um, and as we seek to be a faithful presence in this world and as we seek to be a light to the world around us. Would you lead and guide us? Would you open our eyes and give us understanding? In the name of your Son, Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, this past year, I have had some extra time to listen to things and to read things, and uh, last summer, I found that I kept coming across references to old books, uh, specifically the books 1984 and Brave New World, and I would hear things like, that is Orwellian, or this is more Brave New World than 1984, and I didn't know what they meant, so I read the, book, the books uh, last fall. And um, they were interesting, although we'll get to it in a minute. I can't wholeheartedly recommend them. Uh, one of the things that really surprised me was just how much sexual content there was in these two books. They're, they're dystopian novels looking at sort of the end of the world as we know it and what a new world order would look like. Uh, and both of them really focused a lot on sex, especially Brave New World was, was disturbing to read at times, so I need to say that so that you don't all run out and read it uh, uncritically. Um, it, it was interesting to read and to think about, but it was interesting to me that, that both authors of these two books identified that, that if you're going to transform society, one of the things you have to do is transform people's understanding of sex and sexuality. And, and they did it because it was so foundational. If, if they could alter people's view of sex, they could alter people's view of marriage. And if they could alter people's view of marriage and the connection there, they could alter people's view of the family. And if they could alter the family, they could alter society. So they, they recognized that this issue of sex and sexuality is one that is foundational to any community, any society, any individual. If you read through 
the Bible, starting in the very early chapters of Genesis, I think you will see that the prince of this world, Satan, knows this as well. Over and over again, one of the things that he seeks to, to do is to undermine these issues of sex and sexuality. Uh, there is so much brokenness in the scriptures, and if we look around our culture today, I think we see much of the same. So much confusion, so much pain, so much brokenness, so much uh, lostness in this area. God saw the same thing, and through Solomon and through the Proverbs, he instructed us in this area. We are going to read a fair amount of the book of Proverbs, so I want you to be prepared. We're going to read all of chapter 5, we're going to read all of chapter 7, and we are going to read part of chapter 6. So if you would follow with me as we read these words, which are the very words of God, starting in the beginning of chapter 5. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed, and you say, How I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight, be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline. Because of his great folly, he is led astray. We're going to skip down to verse 20 of chapter 6. My son... Keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck when you walk. They will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry, but if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. 
He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, and he will not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. My son, keep my words, and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman and from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice. I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart, she is loud and wayward, her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. In her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. There is no other topic that is addressed like this in Proverbs. We talked last week about the first nine chapters sort of being a a letter written to a son, and then the second half of the book being these wise sayings. There is no other uh, topic that is covered in the depth that this is covered here in Proverbs. And, And I wanted you to hear just how much Solomon had to say about it. There are three main discourses. There are some other things sprinkled throughout, but we read them chapter 5, the end of chapter 6, and then chapter 7. Chapter 5 and 6 are uh, really sort of uh, warnings in in one sense. They're they're describing what is happening. And chapter 7 paints a dramatic picture of showing what this looks like in the life of a young man. As we look at these chapters, as we consider sex and sexuality and seek to understand what specifically the book of Proverbs has to say on the topic, we are going to seek to answer three questions. What is the sexuality that Proverbs warns against? How can we walk in sexual wisdom? And why is sex so important? We're going to start with what is the sexuality that Proverbs warns against. You heard it over and over again, the adulteress or forbidden woman. The word literally means 
foreigner or outsider. We are not to understand this as someone from a different cultural or religious or national background. What this is referring to is something that is foreign or outside of God's design and law. Something that is outside and foreign to God's standard of sex for his people. There are plenty of places in the scriptures where the people of Israel would have known from Genesis 2 where a man and a woman uh, leave their father and mother and cleave together and become one flesh to the Ten Commandments where adultery is forbidden and multiple other places in the law. The, The people of Israel would have known God's good design for sex was within the covenant relationship of a man and a woman in marriage. So the adulteress or forbidden woman is just that, that which was forbidden. More than simply a married woman seeking out extramarital sex, but all of sexual immorality. He is warning against sexual sin, which would have included adultery or prostitution or fornication or pornography, would have included heterosexual sin and homosexual sin and anything else that deviates from God's good plan for sex. In the New Testament, Jesus clarifies this for us in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, even our lustful thoughts and desires outside of a marital union between a man and a woman are sin. And that is what Proverbs is warning against, sexual immorality. Now, I want to I make sure we hear that, that this warning, the book of Proverbs is framed as a letter to a son, but this warning is not only for men, it is not only for the young, it is clear for a number of reasons that this wisdom is for all of us. We see even in the section we read in chapter 6, verse 20, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Both men and women, both the father and the mother, had this wisdom and were expected to pass it along. In the introduction to the book, in in verses 1 through 7, there is this this part before the the letter to the son starts, and it makes it clear that this, this wisdom is for anyone who would seek understanding. And we understand that the book of Proverbs, as part of the canon of Scripture, is for all the people of God. The nation of Israel and the church of Christ are often referred to as son or sons of God, not because there was no place for women or daughters, but because it signified and highlighted and communicated that you are heirs of God. And so this letter to this son is for men and women. It is for young and old. It is addressed to a young man. The specific examples are in light of that, but it would be very appropriate for you to switch in your mind to represent your temptations and struggles. You do not have permission tonight to turn a deaf ear or to listen for somebody else. This word is for all of us. God, through the Proverbs, is warning us all of the danger of sexual immorality 
in our lives. And he warns us, first, that it is alluring. Sexual sin is appealing. Listen to some of the ways that this is described in 5.3. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. In 6.24 and 25, to preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, and do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Sexual immorality will bat its eyes at you and call you to desire its beauty. Chapter 7, verse 5, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Chapter 7, 16 and 17, I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. In 721, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. Sexual sin, unfortunately, does not present itself as some sort of grotesque skeleton calling to you. It is attractive. It is alluring. It is desirable. It appeals to all five senses. There is perfume. There is soft linen. There is um, beauty that you would see. But I want us to especially notice how often smooth words and seductive speech are used to try to allure to herself. Our topic next week is actually words and our use of words, so you can come back and hear more. But here, it is a powerful tool of temptation. Sexual immorality appeals to vanity of the young man in these passages. I would argue that sexual sin uses the same flattery on you and I today. I have been waiting for you. I picked you. You are special. You are who I want. You are who I need. You deserve this. As sexual immorality calls to us, it calls in an alluring manner. But, and there is a big qualification in each of these passages as they continue to warn us. Sexual sin may be appealing, but it is so costly. Listen again to some of these passages. Chapter 5, 4 and 5. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to Sheol, her steps follow the path to Sheol. Chapter 5, 9 through 11. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner, and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. Chapter 5, 12 through 14. The author looks down the road a little and warns of the day when you will find yourself on the brink of utter ruin, regretting not having listened to the wisdom offered. 5, 22 through 23, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of sin. 
He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. 6, 32 and 33, he who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and his disgrace will not be wiped away. 7, 22 and 23, all at once he follows her as an ox goes to slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Do you hear some of those words? It will take your honor and your years and your strength and your labors to lead to ruin and wounds and disgrace that will not be wiped away will cost you your life. Sexual immorality, as it calls to you, doesn't say this, but following it will cost you material possessions, will cost you years of your life, it will cost you reputation, it will cost you bodily, it will cost your soul, it will cost you your very life. If you think of a river or a lake that can provide such nourishment and is so filled with beauty and we might vacation there as long as it is within its banks and shores. But when a storm comes and the water spills out past its banks and is no longer confined, the water spills into the streets, and into homes, and it can wreak powerful destruction and devastation. And this is what sexual immorality does. When, when sex is released from the banks that it is supposed to be confined to, it devastates. So if, if we put these two things together, if we put that he is warning us that uh, sexual immorality is alluring and yet costly, I think ultimately what Proverbs wants us to see is that sexual sin is a counterfeit. It, it really is appealing because it is imitating something that really is good, but it is not the real thing. Chapter 5, 15 through 20 draws this comparison as the author encourages drink from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Be intoxicated with your wife, not with the adulteress. It paints a picture of sex within the marriage covenant, within the bounds of God's design and regulations, and the real thing is wonderful. It is a blessing. It is a gift. It's a delight. It's something to rejoice in. It's described as intoxicating. God is not a cosmic killjoy who wants to rob you of this incredible thing called sex. He is the creator. He's the creator of sex. And seeing the good in his design is a great deterrent to straying from that design. 
So ultimately, what the writer of, of Proverbs, what God is calling us to do is don't settle for the pretend. Don't be drawn in by the fake. Do not go into sexual immorality. Do you hear some of the ways that this is described? Those who are enticed, they're like an ox who's going for a walk. No idea that right around the next corner is the slaughterhouse. If we were to, to go to another image of water, it's like a, a man dying of thirst and fresh, clean water is offered to him. Sexual immorality is not a poor substitute as though he dips his cup instead in a mud puddle that might have some bacteria and other things mixed in. Sexual immorality is a false substitute. It is going to the sea and dipping your cup in over and over again to salt water, which will promise the same things and deliver the exact opposite. Sexual immorality promises the life and the joy and the contentment and the satisfaction, and it cannot deliver. So what is the sexuality that Proverbs is warning about? Counterfeit sex. We move on to our second question. How do we walk in sexual wisdom? The psalmist actually asks the same question in Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? His answer is by guarding it according to your word. Proverbs is less succinct. It says the same thing. 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion. And now, O sons, listen to me. This is chapter 5, verse 7. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Chapter 6, 20 through 23. My son... Keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Chapter 7, 1 through 4. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. 7.24, and now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. It really is a question of who you will listen to. The writer of Proverbs has already warned against listening to the smooth talk and flattery of sexual immorality. Will you listen to that or to the life-giving words of your eternal Father? Last week we said that folly is living as if there is no God and wisdom is in living in light of the true God. Will you live as if there is no God, or will you live as though he is the creator of all things and has spoken 
and loves you and wants what's good for you? Will you heed his words? Again, here's some of the ways that these words are described. The words of God will lead you. They will watch over you when you're lying down, when you're awake. They will talk to you. They are a lamp, a light, a way of life. And so, be attentive. Incline your ear to understand. Do not depart from or forsake the words of your Father, which are contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament. Bind them on your heart, wear them around your neck, treasure them, make them your intimate friend. Read this word. Study this word. Meditate on and memorize this word. Devote yourselves to it. Psalm 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Do you want to be the type of man or woman who does not walk in the way of sexual immorality? And make God's word your constant companion. This is how we can avoid being enticed by sexual immorality. Uh, And it is this word that we turn to to help us answer our third question. Why is sex so important? Why does it seem like the church cares so much about this? Why should I heed the warnings against sexual sin and cling to God's word as more precious than anything else? And here we're going to zoom out from Proverbs We're going to turn to the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage and sex, a husband and a wife becoming one flesh, matters and should matter because it refers to God's relationship to his people through Jesus Christ. God created men and women. He gave them to one another in marriage, and he told them to multiply and to fill the earth, and it was very good. And then it wasn't. We rebelled, and we sinned, and we came under the judgment and condemnation of God for those sins, but God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died that we might be reconciled to God and restored to a right relationship with him. And that right relationship is compared to a lot of things. It's compared to a child, to a father, a servant, to a good master, a subject, to a benevolent king, and here, a bride, to a groom. Jesus loved us, gave himself up for us, cleansing us from our sin and making us a redeemed people. He died that we might belong to him in the way that a bride belongs to her groom, a wife to her husband. 
And this mystery that Paul points out is why our sex and our sexuality matter. It is why we should cling to the word of God to avoid sexual immorality. And it also helps us to view sex rightly in light of a culture that is all over the place on the topic. On the one hand, there is the hookup culture that argues sex is a meaningless act, mere entertainment to be engaged in freely with whenever and with whomever you want. No. No. It is deeply meaningful. It is not simply an act of animal instinct or pleasure or procreation or even showing love to another person. The intimacy and union of sex within marriage is actually pointing to the intimacy and union of Jesus Christ to his church. Sex has an eternal significance. Even though we're told there will be no marriage in heaven, the significance and value of sex will last into eternity. On the other hand, our bipolar culture tells us that sex and sexuality is everything. Your sexuality is the core of your personal identity. How you self-identify related to sex and sexuality is who you are. To go through life foregoing sex is to live a subhuman existence. To this, we must also say no. Sex is important. It is meaningful. But it is the shadow, not the reality. It is not ultimate because you and I are not ultimate. God is. And so as Christians, we can and should recognize sex as significantly, eternally important. And yet we do not put sex on the altar and worship it as supreme. Think just a little bit about a few, few of the implications of this. It means that sex really does matter and you should guard yourselves against counterfeit sexuality. You should heed the warnings of Proverbs. It also means that while sex and marriage are really good gifts and the continuation of the human race depends on most people participating in these gifts, it is possible to be fully human to live a fulfilling and satisfying life without being sexually active for a season or forever. It also means because sex is not everything, sexual sin is not irredeemable. If you have sinned sexually or been sinned against, it is not the end of your life. In fact, if we understand that our relationship to God is compared to the marriage relationship, all of our sin becomes adultery, which is how God speaks of the idolatry of the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. Sexual sin is sin against God. And it is sin against God, just like every other sin against God. And so if you find yourself now having sinned sexually or having been sinned against, you are not defined by what you have done, 
or what has been done to you. There is forgiveness for sexual sin, and there is great hope in the gospel for whatever circumstances you find yourself in. Because finally, it means that you are not primarily defined by being married or single or widowed or even who you are attracted to. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are primarily defined by your union with Jesus. You are a Christian. Sex doesn't get the last word. God does. So Christian, let God's word rule in your heart. Wherever you're at today, some of you may be one foot in the door of the house of sexual immorality. Some of you may be totally confused about what to think. Some of you might be uh, totally in line with, with what you, you've never heard something other than, than what the world around you would teach. And this is all new. Wherever you are at, as Paul says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Our, our section of Proverbs said this multiple times. Don't go anywhere near the house. Don't go down that street. Don't think that you can hold hot coals to your chest and not be burned. Flee sexual immorality. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, by treasuring, devoting yourself to, binding to your heart and mind, and being attentive to the word of God so that you may be spared from the deceptive snares of sexual immorality and live with wisdom in the areas of sex and sexuality in the true joy and freedom of God's loving will for you, both now and into eternity as he presents you to himself as a spotless bride. Would you pray with me? Father, there is so much more that we could say, like this barely scratches the surface. And yet, it is what your word teaches. And so, Lord, would you help us to be attentive to your word? Would you shape and mold us? Would you press us tonight into the mold of your word? And would we come out shaped differently in this area of sex and sexuality? For those who are engaging in sin, would you bring conviction? For those who are repentant, would you bring comfort and forgiveness for those who are hurt would you speak life for those who are confused would you bring clarity would you make wise the simple as we seek after you trusting in you and trusting in the love through your son christ in whose name we pray amen